Welcome to the Ramble Podcast. I'm your host, Joel Primus, father, entrepreneur, filmmaker, athlete, hopeful writer, and dedicated wanderer. I'm curious to learn more about how people live their lives, their struggles, and passions, and pains. So every week, with athletes, entrepreneurs, healers, adventurers, and beyond, I'm going to have unbound and uncensored long-form conversations about people, places, pursuits, and performance. Enjoy. Welcome to the Ramble. Welcome back. I have Vanessa Takmazian. I got it right? Close Close enough. enough. (laughs) With me, Vanessa is the keeper and farmer behind Maybloom's Acre, a small family-run farm nestled in the hills of Yero, B.C., known for their all-of-egg wonders, which we will explain, (laughs) and pasture-raised birds. She is a self-proclaimed writer and dedicated homeschooling mother, a lover of nature, gardening, and forever a student. Welcome, Vanessa. Thank you for having me. Of course, if you are watching this, we are not alone I'm here, guys. Jana, my wife, who we have done three podcasts Mm -hmm. together, Mm -hmm. um, where we're usually drinking tequila and it's 11 (laughs) o'clock at night because the baby's only just fallen asleep, are doing our first co-host. So buckle in to see how this goes. (laughs) Uh, And Jana will explain why she wanted to sit down with us. A few housekeeping things uh, outside of the norm. Jana is a doula, as you would know if you've listened to our episodes, and she has a client who is possibly in early labor, as I understand it. Yes, so I may need to leave if timing so needs me to. So So that that may happen. There might be an exodus like (laughs) midstream. We'll see. see. And we also have my mother, or our mother, in the... uh, waiting room with our eight-month-old, so they're also maybe... A meltdown of sorts. <laughs> a meltdown of sorts. So those are some new variables, but we're going to roll with we're it. We're hoping for the best because we're recording during the day this time. Vanessa, welcome to our little humble show. I'm happy to be here. Honestly, it's a pleasure to talk with both of you at the same time. <laughs> It'll be hard to... And you're going to be like looking left between. and right because this not only is our first time co-hosting, this is the first time there's ever been three people mm. Yeah. on the uh, podcast. And if you can't see, we're actually sitting at a table all looking at each other. I know. Which is it's nice. Wonderful. It's yeah. it's It's like, you wonder how Joe Rogan makes the mic look so natural. I agree. Right? Because <laughs> I think in like 10 minutes, you'll, you'll be, okay, this is not even here anymore. Totally. But we're, the, the reason we're in person is we're at the agency media uh, who we... Or when we're lucky enough, we get to record here and all be together and hopefully something we get to do more of. I, listen, like, you're a celebrity in our household. Wow. Okay. What a uh, like, let's just be <laughs> really honest. Honest and get that out of the way. <laughs> because, so I, let, me, let me understand the background. Mm. You followed Vanessa on yes. Instagram. Yes. So when we first started our farm, I found you on Instagram. I don't remember how I found you. It wasn't through Alex, who is actually a mutual contact yeah. of ours. Also former guest of the podcast. Yes. Yes. Former also. and future. And Ooh. future, yeah. yes. We're definitely going to have a chat with her again on the podcast. Yeah. I talked to her. <laughs> yeah. There's official conversations <laughs> and there's unofficial. And yes. <laughs> So I had found your account when we first started Chickens. Mm. And you were my go-to for everything chicken-related. And then you have beautiful olive-colored eggs and blues and speckles, which were always my chicken egg goals. I was like... This, if I can do this in some capacity, I feel like I am heading in the direction of heading. <laughs> and 
And then anytime I had a question, I would try to reach out to you or look through all of your highlights and find out how do I remove Bumblefoot? What oh. am I going to do with this? <laughs> and so I've had chickens in our shower and chickens outside and tried different brooding techniques. And you were just, I would always say, well, May Blooms does it this way. So we she have would. to do it this way. <laughs> this and, is what she says. And she would always like bring me the phone and be like, no, no. You have to like just go through the story just and look, look at the at photos, her. look at the way Vanessa speaks, look at what she's learning. And I, I, I'm saying that as a compliment, but I'm also saying that as the impact that the decision that you made and the way that you've decided to do it has on somebody like Jenna and then by default me, <laughs> where you're, you're, you're literally, you're inspiring people. You're, you're changing how they see something, how they want to do something. So me, I want to use that as a segue into how the farming piece, because as I understand it, you're yeah. first generation. First generation. Right. Correct. So how yeah. did this, like the whole story, how did how you did come start? to be a farmer? Yeah. Um, I always wanted to be. I grew up in a small farming community. It was mostly dairy based. So that's a very stark contrast to what I do now. And... Honestly, it's taking us back to 2017. My son got diagnosed with um, leukemia. It was a very treatable cancer, but given that he's a child and a boy, it was a three and a half year treatment plan. You knew at the beginning yeah. that it was a three and a half year treatment or just yeah, ended up being Yeah, it. no, we knew it was a long haul because so much of it is suppressing the immune system to kill all of the cells that have multiplied. Mm -hmm. And so we, at that time, 2017, we had just bought our property. And so with kind of the intent to just be more together, having this space, we were doing it with my parents. So 2017, we poured the, the foundation the day after he got diagnosed. So that was a huge shock. And it took us down, as I said, a three and a half year treatment plan. And during that time, anyone that has children, it breaks you. Watching them struggle, watching, we had to do treatments at home because we were building a house and I had a young daughter because I was pregnant when he got diagnosed. Um, so it was just a really difficult time. Mm -hmm. And as I said, I, I broke. I started to become very depressed. I started to become very isolated. I didn't know how to manage basic feelings anymore. And so I just said, you know what? I feel the most at home when I'm just standing outside in nature. Mm -hmm. And within nature, there's animals. There's animals that can provide nourishment for you. Um, so it just started with this ideal of uh, kind of having it all. It started with chickens. And clearly it didn't go past the chickens. <laughs> um, but the ideal was chickens and pigs and cows. And I've always wanted a horse. And so I kind of wanted this idyllic hobby farm, mm -hmm. which again, clearly did not go that direction. As in it went more business well, than hobby? Well, it just became, I, I was obsessed with chickens. It, <laughs> it didn't take much. We So by the time my son was almost out of treatment was when I felt comfortable because again, he's an immunocompromised child. Bringing in animals and bacterias and all the things that come with animals is, is not an easy thing to do. But you, I was like, no, we can't. You can't pause life forever. This is a long haul that we're under. So we started with 23 in 2018. So it wasn't very long after. It was towards the end of 2018. 
And then we got 28 more probably a month later. Mm -hmm. And now we're four years, four and a half years in, and I'm at about a steady 200. That's chicken math, right? That's chicken math for you. That's the definition. I just learned chicken math. If anyone wants to know what chicken math is, you don't ever really count your chickens. You do not, unless there's someone forcing you to. You'll always get more. (laughs) Or you'll miscount intentionally or on purpose. I'm always asking, how many chickens do we have again? Like, I don't know. Okay, Do so you want to know? I want to. I want. There's. There's. There's a lot of really important things mm. I want to go into there, but I want to just take a quick back step to because you, Jana, wanted chickens intuitively or whatever forever, and you yeah. wanted chickens. So what is it about chickens? I don't know because <laughs> it actually wasn't something I always wanted. I wanted horses. When I was a kid, I was like a total tomboy. I wanted like, I had like, you know, when you could plaster logos on your, not logos, but pictures on your shirts. Mm-hmm. I'd make my mom put like horses on my shirts. And <laughs> I was a total tomboy. But That I classic grandma horses. sweater. Do you remember 100%. that? Cla- like with like the, the horse. like yes. That was like my your- attire. Truthfully. <laughs> and I was all in. Um, but then obviously I realized how complex they are. And I've always been, again, my son got sick and my ethics just became like a guiding force. And so with horses, they need a lot of room. They need a lot of, I don't know, space to run. And I I always, I had this romantic view of what keeping animals was. And it's not necessarily true. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I always was like, oh, the horse is that, you know, spirit. Let's just go to Disney movies right away. They're running wild. You can't do that in a one-acre pasture. They run to a fence and they stop and they pivot and they turn around and run a different way. It's not that romantic version. So with chickens, it felt very manageable to give them a really good life. Because again, if I'm going to have animals here, I have guiding ethics that dictate certain ways of caring for these creatures and it felt very manageable i think it really boiled down to it just it felt like the first step was chickens they're small we'll start with 23 nobody tells you the math part um and just how fun they are because you as soon as you keep them and they're outside of these production breeds that we're used to kind of being shown what chickens are they're either white or brown they lay a white or brown egg once you start to realize, because I just bought, like, um, they're called mutts, essentially, at first. I bought from a backyard breeder. They put one rooster in with a bunch of hens. You really don't know what you're going to get. But the first time you get, like, a light blue egg or a light green egg, you're like, what is this magic that I've never known about? <laughs> yeah. So you did didn't know that be? before? I had no idea. Uh, okay. No, I mean, I had absolutely no idea. And, and most people don't. No, they don't. When you like show them, they're like, "What?" They think I paint them. Like, yes, exactly. They think it's like, <laughs> like the spots and yeah. everything. It's yeah, quite there's, funny. There's three, 13 hours of manual labor Absolutely. in the every box. <laughs> well, but if there's something like, okay, so when our friend Faze was over, and he's like, he's a gardener, lover of nature kind of guy, yeah. and he's just standing outside staring at the chicken coop, and he comes back in, and I think he tells Jan, and I, he's like, "I think chickens are my spirit animal." Oh. And I'm like, and that's what this person, (laughs) right? They kind of have that interesting. They're 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 freaking psychotic half the time, and then the other half of the time, it's like, wow, yeah, you're like, well, and I, yeah, I think it's also I'm like again that bleeding heart for animals. I've always been an animal lover, and farm animals, like domesticated farm animals, especially in the commercial world, they're just so. Two things, misunderstood and exploited. And so when you are kind of 
privy to this beautiful like blue egg or green egg that took effort mm -hmm. to make and this beautiful combination of genetics, you're like, wait, there's so much more that I haven't been told about. And I've just been told this one way that kind of, yeah, again, to use exploits this animal to give me my nourishment, but there's so much more. They have personality, they have dynamics to them, they live in families. Mm -hmm. Like, I know that might sound crazy to some of your listeners, but like chickens, they have people, they have other beings that they either choose to be around or really do not want to be around. Yeah. And so it's just once you start to sit with any animal, whether it's insects like bees, which we also have now, or chickens or even horses, you really just start to take them in for what they are. Mm -hmm. And you're like, wow, I, I've, I've been so ignorant. Mm -hmm. I had no idea. And it's just it's putting in that time and that time. And, as, and building certain things and building up our farm, it was so healing mm -hmm. because A, it opened my eyes to a world, especially you're putting food in your body every day. Mm -hmm. Very rarely are you thinking about where it comes from. And so now I get to see just this one little avenue of where it comes from and the being behind it. It's a really powerful shift in your mind mm -hmm. and you almost can't go back afterwards. <laughs> it just changes everything. I think. You're right about the can't go back piece. Absolutely. Yeah. You just look at it totally differently. You do. You have so much gratitude for mm -hmm. what they've given to you, but also just their presence in general. Mm -hmm. it, it changes everything. I would be very lost with a very oh, silent yeah. yard. They, a silent they yard or so like much. a studio apartment in the city. Totally. Which has totally. its perks, but then it's like... Well, even yeah. where's the grass? Where's yeah. the trees? Where's the seasons? Where's everything that not only the animal, but ties you into this natural world. Because don't get me wrong, it wasn't just the chickens that healed my heart. It was retreating off into, I, I have a forested property. So we, we cultivated about two, just under two acres of it into home, gardens, orchard, animal spaces. But then we kept one acre for just healing, whether it was for the planet in my mind, because I was doing my part, giving one third back kind of thing. But it was also just my place that I could mm -hmm. just be. That's so interesting you say that because when we were, my cousin Ryan and I, uh, who's also been on the podcast, and we, we have a hunting show, and we were foraging. Mm. And the foraging lady, her name's Jennifer Cote, she said that exact same thing. She's like, the foraging rule, one third for yeah. you, one third for the animals, one third for Mother Nature. It's a powerful rule to follow. Where did you come to the rule? It just made sense. It just made sense. Because you, you, you can't always be taking. We And, and that's where that exploitive part comes, because it always felt like I was just taking. I wasn't a part of mm -hmm. any of it, let alone giving something back. So it just felt natural. When you're mm -hmm. really stripped of, of everything that you feel was safe or normal or whatever really and you're you're made to just look at everything from an ethical standpoint like what is going to fill my cup how am i going to move forward today how am i going to ground myself because it's literally a matter of mm -hmm. life and death essentially at that point um that was that's where my mind was at it it becomes instinctual mm -hmm. and then you just follow through you you act on that instinct and then you realize how powerful you are mm -hmm. but where did you learn to act on the instinct Honestly, it was it it was an essential. I I mm. wouldn't have been able to move forward without taking those steps because I was so disconnected from how to nourish myself fully. Not mm -hmm. just putting food in my body and feeling full, nourishing myself to the point where it's rejuvenating my cells. It's because again, to sadly tie back to my son, he was being pumped full 
of chemotherapy. He never had radiation, but chemotherapy medications for three years. It was an immunosuppressive approach, and it required some of these toxic we were in suit and gown, and he was this naked little boy having tubes going through his body. Like, you, your mind can't rationalize what's happening. And so I knew I needed to heal him inside. Mm-hmm. I knew it would start with food, mm-hmm. but I didn't quite know what that looked like. I was still shopping in the grocery store. Like, we're talking big box grocery stores. I was still, you know, reading labels, sure. Trying to be aware, sure, because we're, we're on the internet at this point. Social media kind of is is showing you farming. And I was definitely leaning towards that kind of stuff. So I understood where my food came from, but not in an intimate sense. And so healing him was the start, but then myself, because I realized I was being a caregiver, I was raising a baby, and I wasn't fueling myself mm-hmm. at all. So I, I hit a zero pretty quickly. Mm. And it was a scary place, but... I, I got my way back out. It, it sounds like it. I mean, but that's really interesting. I had a similar experience when my friend's dad was really sick. Mm. Brent, Dustin's Brent. I can't remember what the diagnosis is, but one of those words you yep. can't describe yep. or you can't pronounce. So we go into the hospital in Vancouver and we're seeing him and, he, and it's like, there's like a hazmat suit. There's like a multiple rooms to get into this place yep. where this human being is completely um, pumped full of chemicals, tubed up, et cetera, et cetera. And there's something, it's not a knock on the medical system. He did survive. Mm-hmm. It, but it feels very unnatural. feels counterintuitive. Counterintuitive. And it's like, how do I even con- connect with this human to in this environment to like help send whatever healing I can? And I, I'm only speaking from the standpoint of I, f- I feel that the response that you had, it was so natural, like to say, well, well then I got to get as well, f- far away from all those chemicals as possible and create this healing lifestyle. Oh, absolutely. Right? And don't get me wrong. I'm so thankful for those chemicals because not only did families test things mm-hmm. on their own children without knowing whether they were getting the drugs that would help them or the placebo or any of those things. We were never, my son's cancer was, it was acute lymphoblastic leukemia. It's very well known. It has a 92% survival rate. Those were numbers I held on to. I'm a big researcher. I dive full in. Maybe that's where the chicken thing came from, but Mm -hmm. I've always been that way. So I was very educated on what he was going through, but yeah, it just seemed... Like, why are we in hazmat? Why did we have to go through three different doors? Why can't I touch his skin after? But yet that's going into his veins, around his heart, so that it can be pumped through his whole body. What's happening here? Mm-hmm. That, that doesn't even, that doesn't compute for mm-hmm. a mother or a human. It just doesn't compute. So if you're exposed to that, no matter who it is, whether it's your child, whether it's a friend, friend's father, it's this massive dose of reality and... Yeah, so nature was, she's always been there. Mm -hmm. And I think I just leaned really hard into what she could provide. And when you lean hard into something, you you fall quick. Mm -hmm. And and it's it's easy because it's not that I was looking for anything to catch me. I fully wanted to fall. Mm -hmm. I fully wanted to just commit and see where it took me. 
Mm-hmm. It's like an ego death of sorts. Hundred percent. You know. Yeah, death and, to everything I once knew. And you can't you can't truly feel or be caught until you truly let go. Yeah, there's no to. there's no halfway in that scenario. Well, because right? then something's always holding you back. Mm-hmm. I had nothing left to let. Like, mm-hmm. I, I had nothing left. There was there was no ego. There was, and now that's something I have to check very frequently, especially with growing a social media presence. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness gracious! It is the ultimate test in ego because you, you're constantly being affirmed. You're constantly having people say, even the nice kind things that you said at the very beginning. It feels wonderful to hear, and I'm glad that I can be of help. But is that natural for us mm-hmm. to hear all the time from? hundreds of people all over the world. I don't think so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. So that, that gets complicated too. But one of the things that I really love about Vanessa that I discovered after we started to get to know each other, I think, was um, her connection with Mother Nature and your mm-hmm. intuition around it. You seem to be, I feel like a lot of what you've discovered about yourself and your land and your family, it comes from intuition and being in nature and watching it. And I believe and always share with Joel that nature is our greatest teacher. And I feel that I see that in you and the way that you respond around you. And just hearing you say about keeping your ego in check, she does that as well. Oh, nature is like ever. a great yeah. checker of the ego. And I just looked on your page the other day when I was trying to find a picture of you. And I noticed that you have like 25,000. Yep chicken ladies following you <laughs> the fun part is it's not As all in, chicken people like chicken ladies being what like chicken like a, like like a dog account but it's a chicken or like a human being that's a chicken lady i generalized yes, <laughs> it's yes. farmers and it's yeah. other people who are curious <laughs> and family yeah. and friends so. you know what though it's actually been really uniting because you realize your followers some are vegetarians or vegans and they're like you know what this is the first time i've ever seen animals that are used for nourishment, whether it's eggs or meat, because again, mm. we only have chickens. We have waterfowl as well, but the same. We only have birds. I love mm. birds. And so it ranges from that to farmers within my community, people that I've connected with that are growers or they're raising animals, or people that are like, I have never known this world. I'm a city dweller, but this is fascinating. Like, <laughs> wow, I've never seen it broken down like this before. Because it's always behind barns. It's always very closed door. So this is like up close and very personal, which mm-hmm. for some people is very uncomfortable. Because I've always said, if I'm going to share, I'm going to share authentically. And I'm going to share the whole picture. Because as Jana said, nature is... She's a cruel teacher. Mm -hmm. If you even watch the shift of the season and how much struggle that can put any season change on plants or animals or anything, food sources become scarce. It's very raw and real. Mm -hmm. And it gets that way in a hurry. So when you go from 23 to now add 28 to get to 200, death, illness, disease, it's Mm -hmm. happening on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. And that was a very difficult exercise at first. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And it's it's the so what you're doing and why is it like vegans as well as farmers and meaties mm-hmm. etc are so connected to it is because for so long we have like this had this very distant relationship with death. Like we keep death mm-hmm. at very arm's length. Mm-hmm. It is a taboo bad thing that we don't like to talk about. It's terrifying. It's hidden. It yeah. is, but when but when we bring it out into the rea- into the reality of life, 
like Mother Nature does, mm-hmm. like you described, you begin to live in the balance of that and you understand it, it better. And this is like, so as a, for instance, as a hunter, mm-hmm. as a new hunter, to actually have felt what it's like to take the life of the thing that is then going to be nourishing our family changes the relationship with what I eat versus picking it up at a store, having no idea because Mm -hmm. all of that raising and slaughter happened behind closed doors and taking it for granted and not appreciating the life that was lost so that we could eat. Well, and just your place in it all, you participated. You participated. You didn't just go and pick something up, which... Don't get me wrong, not everybody can do. We have to form community. Mm -hmm. There's certain things that one person can do and that's a strength for them. They can take it onto their heart, Mm -hmm. they can do it. There's other things that we have to, like I said, outsource. But when you're intimately participating, you're becoming a part of nature. Mm -hmm. And that is what changes Mm -hmm. the whole perspective. What we're supposed to be. Yeah, and we're so far removed from it, living in cities but not actually living in community living off of Mm -hmm. you know our day-to-day life is highly on a screen Mm -hmm. highly participating on a screen for most people and we forget that we are a part of nature and that interacting with it is actually a part of our biology it is and And it tests you it challenges you Mm -hmm. it really it makes you look at all of the ideals or even rules that you once thought were a part of life like death. Mm. Everybody knows it's life and death. You don't get to choose technically when either of them happen or Mm -hmm. how they happen or where they happen. And that's terrifying. And when Marcus got sick, my son, that was terrifying. I also had my own health struggles in that time. And so you're faced with it kind of in a berating fashion. And it really makes you just think, well, what is the point in living then? Like, what am I supposed to be doing with that precious in-between time of those two beginning and ends. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to be as present and as, I guess, natural. I mean, somebody can pick that apart and say, well, domestic poultry isn't exactly as natural as it gets because we have, we have, Oh, man, have we done a lot to that poor Domestic poultry animal. does not sound like a proper description no. of what you do. <laughs> I mean, like... That was a, that was a I, conscious choice, right? Yeah. Like, I could have gone with production breeds. I could have, you know, made sure that they gave me as mm. much as I could for, you know, my my feed ratio, for example, was as as effective or efficient as possible. But that wasn't what I wanted. I wanted these animals to live like they would in nature. But breeding, sadly, which is where these beautiful olive eggs come from. Oh, the olive eggs. The olive eggs. They're so beautiful. They are. And they're just, you're taking two genetics and you're overlapping pigment. It's a beautiful thing. It's really complex. And I lose a lot of people, their eyes Mm -hmm. glaze over. But when I started doing that, it means you're penning animals. So my idyllic, again, you know, romantic relationship with keeping these animals was challenged Mm -hmm. immensely. I did it for two years. I bred animals, which 
it just didn't sit well anymore. Mm -hmm. It became this ethical conflict within me. Um, I would see bullying. I would see, you know, legitimately birds scaling up eight foot fences just to get out. Yeah. And I'm like, what am I doing to them? Mm -hmm. what, 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 is, what is the purpose of all this? Mm -hmm. They just want to live in their family units. They want as much space to run around that you can give them. They want good food, kind keeper. To, you know, they, they don't want much. I love that you use that word keeper, by the way. Yeah, it's keeper. very important. I well, will never it, change that word. It's so powerful. <laughs> it is. It is, a, it is a mothering word. I mean, that's just why I say when you say raising domestic poultry, it's like mm. that does not align with the intent, the intention of being their keeper. I'm that glad is, you see it that way. Yeah. Does, do others not? No, they do <laughs> see that, you, but sometimes like, you're, 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 you're challenged on... Yeah. But it's you're keeping chickens like you, you're still again, it's more that vegan argument of you're mm. still they're still, you know, being exploited. They're still only for your gain. And it's like, well, these animals, they do lay an egg every day. Genetically, that's what we've not all all breeds, but that's what we've created. And so I'm just trying to hop into that cycle of nourishing myself mm -hmm. with this animal that is what it is. I try to always select, it's called heritage breeds, and those are breeds that have been around forever. They're the origin of what a commercial production bird is. It's just heavily genetically modified. Yeah. And I don't mean with chemicals, I just mean with very selective breeding. So I always try to go with endangered breeds, or as I said, heritage breeds. They're hundreds of years old, they're fascinating. Um, and you can find people that have chosen one breed and just mm -hmm. created magic with them. So I've been very blessed to have a lot of community members that have shared their genetics with me so that I can do what I do today. That sentence is, I've had community members share their genetics with me. <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> That got a little I know what you mean. <laughs> I, I, I mean, all joking aside on that mm. point, I, I, so I wanted to just segue just a little bit back to death and living in the balance Mother Nature's balance on a farm as it relates to children mm. and what they have learned. And maybe you both can answer that question as mothers of little farmhands. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> please go first. I and, feel like. <laughs> yeah, and just like, but, but from the context of what it is that th I'm hearing what you're taking mm. from this experience, yeah. and I obviously know, it, you know, you've taken um, and are taking, but what do, they, what do they get in the context of what we just discussed? Well, uh, part of my job is welcoming life into the world, being a doula. Uh, death doulas actually exist as well, which is really profound. A long time ago, there was a lot of ceremony around both birth and death, and family was heavily involved. And like we've talked about, a lot of it's behind doors with both birth and death. And uh, part of having a farm your children get to experience both, or our children have, I know yours has as well, has as well. And it doesn't become as scary when they get to see it. They, our girls love creating ceremony out of everything. And I think that they get that from me and my, my joy of ceremony. Uh, so anytime a chicken, especially a very loved chicken, passes or needs help passing, we try to celebrate it in a way, whether it's burying some of the chicken or creating a little shrine or an altar, as my girls say. And um, it keeps them in the knowing that death doesn't have to be scary in order to be important. And it's something that all life is connected to. Mm. We are all born, we take our first breath, we all die, we expel our last breath. And I think that that loop seems 
complicated to our adult mind, but is actually a lot more simple mm. when they children get to see it and share it. I couldn't agree more. I think sharing it with them was hard at first because you're aware that you never want you never want to form this desensitized emotions to death. Mm -hmm. And so it meant touching a body after it's passed. Mm -hmm. It it meant only answering questions that are asked, not offering anything more. You don't need to fill the space with words. You just need to answer the questions in front of you because that's what their minds are thinking about. We also create immense ceremony. Um, and that ties back to my one third part. Every part of whether I'm harvesting an animal for meat or I'm helping a chicken pass over from disease or whatever it be, may be, a part of them goes back to the earth. And so when we're harvesting, we do heads and, and like non-edible organs. When it's an animal that has passed on for sickness, they get a sapling. So we have, like I said, the whole forest there. We've got lots of saplings. We've got lots of mature trees. And so they come back in in my mind and in theirs, they come back as this tree that, mm. the, you, that you literally can hold and hug. You can go visit. And so we try to take, there's no rushing. All of our deaths in whatever fashion are instant. There's, there's no detachment. I'm the one that hatched them, uh, raised them. My hands are the one that takes them. I don't outsource that even to my husband or anyone else. It's, it's a very intimate thing for me personally. Mm. That doesn't mean that that's for everyone. Um, I outsource it to my husband. And that's fine. That's where but that you're community there. I'm there. Yeah. But you're yes. holding them. Yes. Yeah. But I, community, you know. that's it, community is not an external thing. It can be your your mm. husband, your spouse, your partner. It can be a, a father, mother. It it doesn't matter. And I don't think we should ever, especially when it comes to death, push ourselves past a feeling that is because don't get me wrong, it is uncomfortable but that might be traumatizing. Mm -hmm. And so if your hand is too shaky or something can go wrong, um, and so outsourcing that, it's, it's actually a, a, a step of compassion mm -hmm. for that animal. And so ceremony. Ceremony is the most important thing. And I think, again, Jana, you touched on death is behind closed doors. It's scary. It's not something we often get comfortable with. Even touching a dead body is, to most people, they, they're like, what? Why are you doing that? That's gross. Mm -hmm. But it's like, no, it was alive a minute ago. What's the, it's still a precious being. Mm -hmm. so, there, there's another part of that that's been, that Jana's really <laughs> kind of taught me, but it's this, alongside I see this, this uncomfortableness with death. And when you mentioned the body and not being wanting to touch the body, it, it it jarred this this memory for me is like we seem to have also lost in our western culture our appreciation for the elder for the wisdom mm. that that um sorry th those who have lived much more than us and are also closer to the transition yeah. that they have and and i think that our fear of death also makes us more afraid of at the elders and putting them in, in old folks' homes when they don't need to be. And I'm using that as sort of a segue into the next thing that I think is when we talk about the children on the farm, you also mentioned your mother. Yeah. Or mother, mother and father. Mother and father. Yeah. Our father lives with us. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that's the intention is something more permanent like you have because mm -hmm. we just rent our farm. But the 
<laughs> so the reasoning for your parents living with you, mm-hmm. and then maybe both, the the benefit of cohabitation with our parents as our elders, or you know, in in that ex- in what that dynamic brings to healing. Totally. In again, in your case, but in our case as well. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of just like a big, bleh, and you can take it however you want to. No, I, <laughs> I appreciate you bringing it up. One more thing that I noticed that you said that I think is really important. You had mentioned that with your kids, you let them ask questions, but you don't answer anything beyond what they're asking. And I think that is profound because a lot of the time being in an adult mind, we want to cover as much as we can in as much detail, not miss anything out, take the full opportunity to teach and to be the teacher and also observe the learner. And I think that allowing your children to ask questions in their capacity often will just answer what they need in that moment. And then we'll spark more conversation at a later time. Absolutely. And and it was something for whatever reason, was at the very core. Mm. We had a death within our first 23, and it was a little chick. Those are always really hard because the kids, they're just precious. They don't stink yet. They're not covered yeah. in poop. They're just darling. <laughs> the, the, the maturity of a chicken yes. is like, yes, it's, from what they were to, man, it's, it's a like, stark contrast. It's a stark contrast. <laughs> they're wonderful, but yes, there's many things that come with the adult version. <laughs> And so right away, my kids were obviously a lot younger. This was four years ago. And I'm, I'm again, a homeschooling mother. And so I always want to explain everything. I love words. So I, I could spell out a whole paragraph for them. And really, their only question was, did it hurt? Was it sad? Can I have a hug? Mm. And that's pretty much it hasn't changed much in those four years. And I never... I never shy away from the kids watching how the birds pass over either. I feel like it's a very, as dignified as it can be because there is no moment of pain. There's no, this might be a bit too much, but there was this ideal when I was growing up, when my parents were growing up, if you killed a chicken, you can watch it run around after it has no head. That's a popular uh, idea. And that traumatized me beyond, I never let it happen. I'm just saying the story of that. And so there's always this sense of holding something. And when you hold something as its nerves are dying, as its muscles are twitching, it's really profound. And then your children watching you, if, if tears come to your eyes, I'm an emotional person, tears come to your eyes and they feel that. They know that this is instinctually sacred. And, um, it, and it, it allows for the spectrum of human emotion yes. that a lot of society and non-homeschool environments, it is not okay for the most part to be angry, to be sad in a public school system. Mm-hmm. The, and that, I understand why. You know, it's you can't have a hundred crying no. kids in a class. No. You need got one teacher. You got one kids. teacher, and yeah. it's already a stretch. Mm-hmm. But to, to, for for a child to see the the spectrum of emotion within their parents as an okay thing, mm-hmm. I think to be determined <laughs> with our kids, <laughs> at least uh, provides the uh, the uh, allowing of that for them. As they grow up, to, oh, I'm sad. It's okay. I feel it's like okay. it's permission. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. That I feel heartache just mm. as deeply as you do. Mm. I feel happiness and all of it's such a wide range of emotions mm. when you're dealing with animals that you love. Because 
there is a line sometimes. Some become pets because, again, we touched on the domestic aspect. Mm-hmm. This is a domestic animal. Um, but it's a, it's a, they're, yeah, they're pets. They, I mean, not all of them are. Not all of our birds. 200, that's a lot of names. Um, <laughs> but uh, most of, like, some of them have names. I name all the roosters. I'm mm. a big rooster proponent. I don't know if you want to know She's an that. advocate for roosters. I'm a huge it's advocate. Not, but it's not like you, like... <laughs> Like wake up in the morning, go outside and like sing two hundred names to all your no, chickens, no, and then no. they fly <laughs> onto your hands. And it's a, <laughs> oh, I'm sure some people visualize. It's not, it's not far from, right? Yes. It's like it's it's within that realm of uh, so Disney princess. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, maybe forest. Yes, yes. Oh, forest. He's a he's a mallard, a wild mallard. We we got a beautiful opportunity. We thought we were just going to rehabilitate him. He was found in a field as an egg, nine eggs and um, a farmer field in my community. And they brought the eggs in. They had an incubator, put them all in. All nine of them hatched, and they just needed to kind of outsource to local people that were close to waterways mm-hmm. to just take care of these little ones. And so we got two, and our we had a male and a female. The girl flew off. This was four years ago. And the, the boy, Mallard, he, his name's Forrest, he stayed. And he never leaves. Mm. And we have an He's interesting like, relationship. Oh, I like this. <laughs> this keeper's very nice. <laughs> Looks outside and yeah. like, I don't know about the outside world. Like, feels... He's got a pretty good life, though. I've, I've cultivated a good life for him. Right. But... Yeah, Janice's hope yeah. is to have a squirrel that takes her oh as her my keeper. Gosh. You can have all of the squirrels that eat my garden anytime you'd like. <laughs> I love that. But, but no, to go back to what you originally brought up with parents on, on the homestead or in your mm-hmm. family, in your home. Wow, what a challenge because you are now, you're looking at your parents in a whole different way. So my parents have long time been married, not always easy as any marriage ever really is any marriage easy. Um, So they've had their ups and downs. I'm the oldest of three. And my whole family actually lives with us. So, As in your brothers and sisters? Yep. I have two younger brothers. One moved into our coach house Mm -hmm. that we have above a shop. And one was going to school, so it was just the easiest way to save some money. And so we originally, and on paper, are only in it with my parents. Mm -hmm. And it was to afford something at first, because land is expensive, and we didn't want to be broke, essentially. We wanted to have money to cultivate what we've cultivated. But it definitely turned into more than that. My dad is an engineer by trade. My mom has always been a massive part of my life she as soon as she had kids that were school age she wanted to be home when we got Mm -hmm. home from school so she was a stay-at-home mom um and then she worked her way up the ladder afterwards in a corporate way um but they have so many lessons to provide my kids and they have the patience that sometimes I lack. Um, and because they're, they're grandparents. I only have two yeah. boards with my, my children. It's like, I'm either happy or I'm very, very You're irritable. Very irritable. You know. um, but they just, they bring this like openness and they're so on board with everything. I mean, I don't know if they love roosters waking them up in the morning because the animals is definitely my thing. But they are just so willing to not co-parent because they don't step on toes but just coexist with us, which is really beautiful to watch because mm-hmm. it, it's beneficial for them. It keeps them young. It keeps them present with what's going on in the young world. But it also keeps my kids in touch with their aging. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's going to lead down a road that we all 
we've already talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, and they get to be so present for that. Mm-hmm. So um, we're very, very blessed. Absolutely. I didn't know that you guys had the same dynamic, though. So that's really awesome. Yeah, yeah. Joel's dad. Papa Corey. Papa Corey. Mm-hmm. He, Papa Corey. Uh, <laughs> has always, as long as I've known him, has had a vision of the family living, as you do, really, just yeah. having... Uh, property where everybody has their place and can add and subtract work and add and subtract. <laughs> well, we're subtract because well, Uncle Jim really just subtracts from the whole equation. He's what I meant, <laughs> there are some of those. In what I actually meant was taking work off of other yeah, people's I know, hands I know. I'm and just, providing I'm... support. That's what I meant. So <laughs> we get to play that out a little bit. I grew up with very hands-on grandparents. Um, my mom was a single mom and needed help and I have a wonderful relationship with my grandparents mm. and it was natural for me to get our kids to experience that. And they're very close with their grandparents. So it's beautiful to watch because you're right. They mm-hmm. add a certain level of patience and yes. care and a little bit of spoiling that mm-hmm. oh, we won't boy. do. So oh, yeah. we live <laughs> go ask grandma. Yeah, <laughs> go yeah. ask grandma. Yeah. My dad's well, not that guy, but my mom. Yeah. 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 Our, our eldest will easily say, well, I'll just go ask grandma because I know I'll get it from her. And yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> it, uh, it's so... I mean, everything you both said, I agree with. But for me, there's a selfish component to it that is probably not that selfish. But I, as soon as, my dad's not old. What is he, 62? 63? I don't even know. Right. Okay, so point being is like, I had this, it it wasn't before he moved in, but after he moved in, I had this realization like, this is, at some point, he's not gonna be here. And I am going to be so grateful for all the the idle time that we had together while we lived together. And then it, the selfish part was like, I don't want him to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? It's like, now I selfishly, he's like, you know, he's like, you know, I might think of getting my own place again. I'm like, no, you <laughs> stay, dad. Well, you know how precious it is, yeah. right? You've... Most people move out and they go and start their own journey. Mm -hmm. And that's wonderful if that's for you. But so much of what we've lost sight of is living in large families. And I don't like community is a beautiful thing. Forming community with friends, adding to that. Wonderful. But living within your own families, learning to navigate different seasons, learning to navigate independent marriages, all of those things. It's it's very challenging but it's very humbling work mm-hmm. um, because yeah I, I totally understand that idle conversation we'll be passing by in the yard and it's like we could choose to pass by but we could also stop right in the middle there and just have a conversation and, and yeah, yeah we wouldn't get that otherwise you wouldn't get it otherwise there is I've, I think I've mentioned this multiple times on the podcast and I can't remember who cited this I think Jordan Peterson was mm-hmm. originally and his parents would be older and he did you know, the, the analyzing the math on the standard amount of time you normal adults see their parents, extrapolated that out to how long the average um, person lives to, and realized that he was only going to see his parents like 25 more times. Oof. Now, that was over a yeah, period of years. years. But when you break it down to that, yeah. it's like, oh, wait a second, that's not a lot of time. And... You know, because here's another, like, maybe this is an unhealthy dynamic, but it's like the inner child in me, the inner, the young Joel, likes being able to walk down the hall and ask his dad a question. 
Mm. What's wrong with that, though? M- maybe it's nothing. A beautiful. Thing. Yeah, yeah. But, but there's like this sense of safety and comfort. I'm. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm. But it, that's the way we man. were meant to live, <laughs> yeah. right? Like that's knowing that we had someone that we could go to f- to fulfill mm-hmm. a need, no matter what it was, whether it's a question, whether it's healing an injury, I don't know, whatever. We we know to go to our parents. And why does that stop just mm-hmm. as we become adults? Why, if anything, that would make us feel more confident um, and and just more, I don't know, secure? Mm-hmm. It's It's been a great, again, not without its challenges, but I think that's yeah. where communication, mm-hmm. which is another thing that we lose the more digitalized we become, mm-hmm. is these raw conversations when things get complicated and you've maybe left it a bit too long and you're like, whoa, we need to sit down. There's some emotions going on here. Mm-hmm. And we've had a few of those, but it's never been something that we couldn't overcome. We're family. Um, and even with Rob, like my husband, Rob's parents, we see them every single Friday, mm-hmm. unless they're on vacation or, you know, something doesn't work out. But it's every single Friday. And I remember when we first started dating, that was the rule. And I was like, but it's Friday. Like as a young adult, I was like, that's a pretty special day after a long week. Like, no, (laughs) we're not going to spend it with your parents. Now it's a day I crave. Mm. It's, it's a part where a, I'm not cooking. That's a huge Mm. love language of mine. Um, when someone cooks for me, no, when (laughs) someone cooks for me, I love being presented with a meal. My mother-in-law is a wonderful cook and she has, um, cultural, it's wonderful food. So you're sitting down and having, community you're mm-hmm. you're with your people you're with the people that in this case I've chosen to do life with mm-hmm. um, married into but yeah I'm I'm a huge advocate for keeping your parents around it's good mm-hmm. for all of us I feel like we should coin a phrase it should be like reverse nesting or something yes. <laughs> yes. where you keep your parents and you don't want them to move out <laughs> <laughs> well it's just I mean it's just it would, the South Asian totally yeah right? I mean yeah. it's just like you just as my friend Everybody tells me, stays? you just everyone stays and you just flip yep. flip what floor you live on. Absolutely. <laughs> Depending on your hierarchy and family. Yeah. I mean, and I, I love that. We we have a little bit more than just a floor, but um, my parents have their side and we have our side. We're separated. It's it's nice. Mm-hmm. But we can meet in the laundry room, put mm-hmm. it that way. We're connected. There's a touch in um, room. There's a yeah. <laughs> it's it, I wouldn't have it any other way though. It started definitely as a financial means for sure, but also with knowing the path that we would be going down together. Mm-hmm. Well, Maybe I mean, they that financial means piece is going to be pretty relevant for Ooh, everyone. everyone. Yeah. I So I wanted to move on, but I wanted to give you space, Janet, because mm. you did tear up. And if I just thought if there was anything you wanted to say that you didn't get a chance to say on that topic, on this topic, you can. And if not, we can move on. It's okay. I feel like it's... This is uh, a deeper intake. <laughs> I lost my dad um, almost two years ago, so I was mm-hmm. tearing up because Joel was mentioning how much he loves having his dad around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and he is your dad. Yes. Well. Isn't but, that a beautiful thing in itself, yeah. that a family can welcome you in and you never feel like an in-law? Yes. That's well, where the love. That. So, <laughs> yeah. oh. Not like an in-law, like you're yeah. welcome. Yes. Yeah. No, yes. yeah, yeah, I feel I feel very at home with your family. Yeah. Where the line... That that like that move like it's in the movies. Yeah. It's like oh fuck, I gotta see the yep. in laws. Totally, <laughs> you know, it's like that's like that's like how the plot of how many like movies, it's right? Like, sad almost. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it, sometimes it's justified, but correct. It it it's sad because we do kind of perpetuate that yeah. thing, and and 
again, it can be unhealthy sometimes. Certainly people cross lines all the time. But when you are welcomed into a family, when there's siblings involved and it is just this harmonious joining of beings, oh, you you know you are lucky. Mm. So I'm very blessed to have that. And I'm glad that you have that too. Because mm. then they can, yeah, mm. they, they nurture you when you've lost others that used to nurture that aspect. I feel that. Definitely. Good. I'm glad. So I wanted to go right back to the beginning. Because mm. uh, I thought a lot of what you said there was, um, I was very grateful you shared it. And I think that there's probably a lot inside that that a lot of people are living and they're like, Vanessa, please tell me more. Mm. Yes. Maybe they have a, a sick child. Yeah. Maybe they have, and because they have a sick child and they have other children, the dynamic of attention inside the family changes to yep. the sick child, you know, or in our case, the eight month old versus. Totally. <laughs> you know. Well, and mine was the middle. So it's kind of perpetuating that stereotype that mm-hmm. the middle gets overlooked because mm-hmm. you've got the bookends, right? You've mm-hmm. got the, the, I have three, I've got the oldest and the youngest. And my middle was the one who got sick. I just feel like so much of it is personality and homeschooling. Mm-hmm. I know that might sound crazy because I had enough on my plate, but I knew that if I outsourced their education, no judgment, that I wouldn't be able to course correct those years of trauma. So my oldest in 2017 was just going into kindergarten. And I was kind of like, eh, it's kindergarten. We can skip it. Mm-hmm. And so we did. And it snowballed. Again, this is maybe a common theme um, <laughs> with all things. But I started to realize that I would be missing out on seven hours of my kids' day where they would be heavily influenced. Again, I say this with absolutely no judgment because I'm blessed to be a stay-at-home mom. First off, I have a husband that supports us financially to what we need. Um, not to say we haven't made sacrifices to make that. We live with my parents, you know? Mm-hmm. There's, there's sacrifices there. But I knew that there was so much trauma that built because I was to, yeah, I was six months pregnant when Marcus got diagnosed. So I have immense trauma for my guilt on what I bestowed on my unborn daughter because of the emotions I was feeling at the time. And I, I, again, I just was, it was almost like I was trying to create more time. And that was the only way that I knew how to do it was to school at home. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was what gave me seven hours a day that I wouldn't otherwise have because I could have a rushed morning and I could have in between making dinner, which we all know is like witching hour. It's a complicated time when your kids are young (laughs) and you're just not on your best at those times. I'm on my best in the middle. And if so, I've had a glass of wine okay. I, <laughs> during the witching hour. He's dancing in the living room. Yeah, super dad. <laughs> but I knew that, you know, the, it's that messy middle, yeah. that middle of my day. And yes, it's a sacrifice on the, the parent side that chooses to homeschool their children because you do not get any time to yourself anymore. But I knew that I wanted to create something with the animals, with the farm, And I just kind of wanted them there for the ride because I knew that what we would learn would not only heal me, but it would heal them. And it wasn't that I had to do anything, really. I just had to start living my life authentically in the moment 
the way that it instinctually felt right. Mm -hmm. And they would just watch and be there. So, yeah, I don't even really remember what the original question no, no, was. No, that's, but no, thank you for that, sharing that. Yeah. And that's, there's a few things in it that I want to unpack. And I'm, if you're okay, let's spend some time here. Just the, again, on the intuition side, where you felt guilt and shame that you were passing on the trauma to an unborn child. Yeah. It did, it was that, and, and you can speak to this too, because we feel the same thing about our children and what we were facing at that moment in time. Did you, did you ever do research to, is it a spiritual thing? Is it a scientific thing? Is it an intuitive thing where you f felt and, and, or knew that this, this was going to affect this being, even though someone at, would say, well, what the heck are you talking about? Mm. It doesn't, it yeah. doesn't have a, a consciousness in the terms of understanding worldly things, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. But yet, given that we had the same experience, I was like, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. But for those who don't, can you unpack that a little bit more for what, just in terms of that passing of trauma? And like what Absolutely. Would, yeah. It is layered, as you said, because yeah. I think so much of it has come from connecting with people that have shared that pain in different ways. All of the journeys, there's no scale of comparison of mm -hmm. pain and trauma. Um, so it can, it can manifest from anywhere. But when I was in it, I knew I wasn't eating properly. I knew I was bottling stress. I was losing my hair, even though I was pregnant, and it should be very much the opposite. I was... I was breaking down every night in emotional, yeah, breakdowns. And so I knew that was that intuition, that I knew that wasn't healthy. Um, and I would be passing on some of that to her. I didn't know it was a her at the time. But then going forward, that research part of me where I wanted to understand, because I started to see things in my daughter. She's five now. And for the first two years of her life, she didn't leave my carrier for the most part. And I mean that quite literally. Yeah. Um, it felt like a way of repairing a bond that had been broken because we didn't get to we didn't get to experience that nine, actually almost 10 months for me with most of my kids of bonding mm -hmm. and just. Because you were, with, with yeah, the, with because I was so your, distracted yes. for the last four months when, you know, this, this being is moving all the time. And I, I barely, I had nurses that would have to come up to me and be like, I need to hook you up to monitors to make sure your baby's moving. Like, I've seen what you've endured today. Um, we need to make sure that you're okay. Or they would be like, nope, we're watching him go to the kitchen and make a meal. So I, I mean, I had guardian angels, don't get me wrong, whether you're religious or not. It was, yeah. And then so going forward, I knew I had to research into why I felt this connection to not put her down for so long. It, it was a part of me worried, again, from social cues that that wasn't normal. And I say that with, you know. It, in our society. It, yes. Within our society, yeah. that's not normal. Because we, there are other Totally. societies that hold yeah they don't put their babies down they don't, they're, they're, yeah. they're, they don't touch the ground i yeah. read that and i was like wow you <laughs> know like, i knew i knew it <laughs> i knew it and so that where that component of it I, I, 
kind of having, not that everything that you think intuitively needs to be affirmed by an external source. Sometimes you just need to do it because it feels right to you. Mm -hmm. But having it affirmed by studies or other cultures or other people, Mm -hmm. gosh, that has been a healing journey that has taken five years. My daughter still sleeps in my bed next to me. She comes in at like one or two o'clock and she cuddles up and no part of me wants to cut that off. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know what she's longing for. She has the capacity of a five-year-old. She can't communicate everything. But if that brings her comfort, being close to me, it's such an easy thing to indulge. It doesn't even feel like an indulgence. It just feels like, well, that's what's natural, right? I'm looking at Jana. I know, because I struggle with this a lot. So (laughs) our babies have been in our room as babies. Uh, Our first had a crib and a room, and we didn't use it. And then our second, I didn't even invest in a crib. She just was with us. And our first wanted to be in the room, too. And we had a pillow that she slept on. And then uh, now, Jovi, I'm doing the same thing with our third. She's in the bed with us. It just makes nursing easier and everything. But our 10- and our 7-year-old also still want to be in the bed. Mm -hmm. And I don't like it because I, well, first of all, I'm lacking sleep. 100%. So it's really hard Mm -hmm. for me to maintain all of my time and patience throughout all 24 hours of the day. Mm. And I also don't have enough space if if everybody is in the bed. We have a king-size bed, but it doesn't... You're doing the, uh, (laughs) you're doing the, well, half of my body's... Ex- exposed oh. into midair on the edge of the bed. And, and or, I need to like flip the baby over and nurse on the other side yeah. and I'm putting it on top of a person oh. so that I can do that. So we have a mattress on our floor and I at one point created a schedule where mm. they could come and sleep in the room so they were still getting some of that but so I was still getting some space with the anticipation of the baby coming so that we could move Sounds like you were trying to set yourself up for success, right? (laughs) Um, They still want to be in there. Yeah, I mean, it's an attachment thing. We're talking about attachment theory here and non-attachment in the negative sense. Attachment, because a lot of schools of thought take attachment as the, you're going to create a mama's boy, you're Mm -hmm. going to create a a mama's um, girl who cannot function as adult. But as I understand it, it is our biological instinct to eventually achieve independence and have independence and that the springboard for that is attachment yeah you're right you're absolutely right but it's one thing to walk it right it's well that's that's, yeah yeah, and like and the way that you describe it vanessa's very sounds very flowy and Mm. and and we've like toggled between flowy and like rigid and the problem (laughs) with the rigidity is that then there's like the boundary of when they need to be held and you say no. Mm-hmm. You're going to cry again? Yes, yeah. so hard. Oh, because uh, I, well, yeah. Joel's much more patient than I am at night. Um, and Because I'm more rested. So this is the only Let's reason. I can see it for what it is and I know they need it and I can attend to the attachment mm-hmm. need. Like, and obviously that you want to be attached to your people. Mm-hmm. And there's families who sleep on the floor all together, all the mattresses and... It's beautiful, and I understand it. But I also, someone once said to me, if it's not working for everybody, it's not working. Mm-hmm. And there are times when it doesn't work for me, so I can't. Oh, I have it. a kinked shoulder today from <laughs> sleeping next to my yeah. daughter. So and please I don't do think it's too. free of any kind of yeah. inner conflict. Because mm-hmm. 
we are raised in a society that encourages independence. We send our kids off to preschool when they're three, society-wise. And then they do two years of preschool, and then they go into kindergarten, and it's a full day. That's very much directing that independence away from your parents because we live in a world where both parents need to work. (laughs) And it's an early— That's very early. When you you dig into attachment theory— Three, four, five is way too early to break the attachment. And this is where you get into uh, what was so profound about what you said about just holding the space by being a homeschooling mother, not specific to anything that you said or did as a a mother prophet, as a mother healer, just being there. Because through defensive attachment, it's like, it's the, I left my toddler at preschool. Why is my toddler crying? Mm when I'm picking him or her up, when they should be glad to see me. And it's because they have, in that, in that trauma-induced situation, it's a micro-trauma, they've lost trust. Absolutely. They've lost the ability to connect with you, and so you have to earn it back. And when the hours that you have to earn it back are so the limited. witching hours, <laughs> the, the limited witching yep. hours, and then it's bedtime, and then stuff, homework, and stuff, Activities. activities into mm-hmm. those witching hours, there's no reconnection. No, and trying to connect. And if you've ever tried to connect with anybody, including friends and spouse, like you don't necessarily mm-hmm. connect in the time that you have to connect. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it comes randomly. Sometimes you need hours or days. So it's, it's impossible to expect that that would happen with your children mm-hmm. in the time that you needed to. In one, in, in one hand, on, excuse me, on one hand, our newer relationship with trauma is... Is one in, is I say it's new because society's only recently started to accept that trauma leads to mental health and that that actually can magically mm. affect how we show surprise. up in the world. It's like right. surprise. surprise, and that it creates whenever there's sort of a shift, there's a the pendulum always swings very far to one side, mm-hmm. and it's so everyone is identified in their trauma versus being with your trauma. As it is that you, you mentioned, Mother Nature is a humbling teacher. Yeah. And if we take that into our own life, it means that we have to take the good with the bad, the difficult with the easy, and, 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 other, and the trauma with yeah. the non-trauma. So as you're going through this event that is, I can't even begin to fathom what it would have been like. I cannot. Our daughter was attacked by a cat. And that's like the closest oh, thing no, not at that all. like I can experience to the fear that your child might die. Yeah. And then there's Vanessa, the woman and the wife and the then farmer. And you're trying to reconcile all these things. Mm. How is it for someone who can insert different things into what I just said? Uh, you know, obviously maybe they're, they're a woman or they're a, a wife or a sister, but maybe they're not a farmer. Maybe yeah. there's something else. And there's a major traumatic event. How is it via what you learned that you could share to help them understand how to be with that trauma and also how to move and transition and and forward into other things? Yeah. You never want to get stuck in your trauma. Um, Working through it is such a beautiful practice and it requires many tools. Mm. With trauma that involves the the possible end result of death, you realize how precious time is. So Mm -hmm. time becomes your most valuable gift. 
And that's where homeschooling came in. That's where the farm came in. And again, all from privileged standpoints. I had a spouse that could provide that for me. Mm-hmm. So I say that with that in mind. But it was time. But it was also, I had to, I had to set up really strong boundaries around the people that were externals in my life. And I say that as someone that's not blood relative or in-law or something like that, if it was a friendship, I had to draw boundaries around, I can't give anything and I just mm-hmm. need to be honest. Um, so I withdrew mm-hmm. and I'm not saying that's for everyone. I'm a, a very internal processor. I think a lot to a fault. Um, so I outsourced that to a professional. I sought out therapy and again, privilege because it costs way too much. It should be covered under some kind of benefit. Mm -hmm. I I think that if everybody could spend an hour a week with a therapist, we would live in a much more connected world. So I did outsource having those very difficult conversations with therapist. Um, And I also made intentional time to just be in the same room as my spouse. And we didn't have to talk. We didn't have to do anything. There was no exercises. There was no nothing. It was just to exist together. Mm -hmm. So I think the main thread of all that is time. Sink into giving someone your time. It's Mm -hmm. all that we have. If you boil down everything about this life, it's time. And so choosing to be in this moment with you, choosing to be with my child, choosing to be with my partner, it's all just time. Mm -hmm. So realizing that that's your most valuable asset, that's the most valuable I don't know, purpose behind Mm -hmm. it all. We were given a certain amount of time and it's how we use it. But then also to be very open about your struggles. I talked about the boundaries and I talked about, obviously you have to know yourself enough to give those boundaries. So they they evolved. At, At the beginning it was, I'm sorry, I can't talk to anyone. I just don't have the bandwidth. Then it was, I can talk to certain people because I trust them or they have shown me safety and so you then you lean into those people but again it's it's communication which is hard to do when you're struggling and you're hurt and you're traumatized and so um my therapist she gave me it was just a I'm sure it's part of like what they're taught to say like it's probably super cliche but she compared trauma to you know those jars that you get at ikea that have that like pop off top it's like a Uh it's like a mason jar but it pops off the top with a little seal inside so she said you don't have to allow your trauma out all at once you just need to pop off the top and release the pressure Mm -hmm. and so it was kind of again time but but taking it out piece by piece not all at once and feeling everything and being overwhelmed and and getting Mm -hmm. into a very depressive state but just allowing moments of pain to come through a a traumatic memory or uh, a a picture visual in your head and just sitting there and crying Mm -hmm. crying is the most therapeutic thing we can do we are meant to cry and so I always did it in a safe place. And then I started to be like, well, why am I hiding in a closet and crying? At first, that's what felt right Mm because it felt very raw and real and Mm -hmm. too much for someone to see because it it would come with a whole body experience. But then as I started to release that jar more and more and it became almost like a a daily practice, I can start weeping just walking down and seeing a pretty view. Like Mm -hmm. I've just become this person that... Oh, like commercials can get you like that. Those are normal things. They're beautiful things that mm-hmm. we can be so triggered by these beautiful emotions that we just want to cry. So time, 
time and being kind to yourself, boundaries, outsourcing to a, a professional that can give you just those little cliche tidbits that really help mm -hmm. um, because it's overwhelming. We often aren't given roadmaps on how to deal with trauma because even the people parenting us, they have trauma mm. and they didn't necessarily deal with it very well. And so we're, we're just domino affecting mm -hmm. all of this. And so- And it's um, new. This, the, a lot new. of our yeah. relationship with trauma as it yeah. is new. In understanding in it, understanding absolutely. it, yeah. and you know, because generations past, trauma yeah. was weak, weakness swept under the rug. But yeah. I think right? that's sadly where we went wrong. I yeah. think instinctually, and I, I love that word, but we we've always known. I think other cultures have always known how to navigate these traumas because they've lived in the moment. Mm -hmm. There's never been so many distractions or disconnects mm -hmm. um, as there is now. Because, I mean, you can go through your whole day, some people, without ever bumping shoulders with someone that genuinely cares about you. Mm. That's mm. profound. Mm. I have a whole network of people that I can bump shoulders with at any time in my day, whether it's a, an animal being or a human being, and they can look at me and know. Mm -hmm. so it, it's, yeah, build mm -hmm. your community. It can be anyone. It does not have to be someone that's related to mm -hmm. you. But seek out a professional. Spend the time. Feel the feelings. Mm -hmm. Cliche again. Um, but it's so true. And I think we've just lost sight of so mm -hmm. much of that. Um, because we're in this rat race of... Um, the next thing and of course I fall guilty to that too and I'm like whoa I haven't felt anything in a while like what's going on here because every day usually we're feeling something right mm -hmm. so it's um it's a practice mm -hmm. it's definitely a practice mm -hmm. thank you for sharing that did you want to add anything or yeah, ask anything I wanted I wanted also to add that um, grief is another I guess new topic not so new topic that we're understanding better. And mm -hmm. I think that it's almost the result of trauma, learning how to grieve. And yeah. we used to think that grief was purely practical, logicizing it in our mind, but now we're learning about, it's actually a embodiment practice, feeling it through your body when you need to in mm -hmm. those moments, mm -hmm. letting the pressure release. It's um, a big part of experiencing trauma in your human body. Yeah. And just recognizing that, that anxiousness, because to be fully transparent, I also leaned on medication. Mm -hmm. It's not something I can honestly say I would recommend, but it got so bad for me that mm -hmm. there was thoughts of thinking I would be better off not here and not feeling. And please, if you get to that point ever, reach out because yeah. these, these medications it's complicated because now a lot of research has come out that the medication that I was on, the SSRIs, are not beneficial for the underlying trauma. Mm -hmm. They mm -hmm. just numb you. Yeah. And so, but sometimes you do need to turn off the thoughts in your head because they're snowballing. They're mm -hmm. too much. You, you don't have that cute little release jar. You just have the twist off and it's open. Mm -hmm. And I'm a mother to three children. Mm -hmm. I have to function. Mm -hmm. And so my relationship with antidepressants was dark and traumatic in its own right because I lost all sense of feeling. Mm. Literally. Mm -hmm. Something horrible could Joy happen. Joy and everything. Both. Okay. Everything. Something horrible can happen and I wouldn't shed a tear. And I knew that wasn't normal, even while I was in it. So 
coming off of them is one of my biggest personal victories and it's very fresh still. Mm. I'm still only a few months post. I stopped in the summer just to align with recovery afterwards and knowing that seasonal depression definitely affects many, many people. Mm. It gets dark. It gets miserable. It's in like, Pacific Northwest oh gosh, yeah. yeah. You just want to be outside and yet, yeah. you know, you, I can't get my morning sun on my skin. I can't get all the things that are part of my practice. Mm. And so, and I don't want to outsource those to light therapies or anything like that. No, no judgment, but it just doesn't work for me. It's no, it, I can't replace what's natural. So I, but I also knew that there's something beautiful in these not so pleasant times mm. too, because now that I have been a very humble student for four years of watching nature on my property, I realize how valuable this season that we're coming into of winter really is. Mm -hmm. I've always loved fall. So fall in all its colors and crispness and let's just bypass all of the rain. <laughs> it's always been my favorite. I got married in October. We got married, sorry. And it was, it's, it's my favorite time of year. Mm. And so winter brings forth rest. Mm -hmm. It brings forth, you know, the entire natural world, whether they hibernate, whether they, it's all about rest. Mm -hmm. And so now an evolved part of my practice is sinking into nature's rhythm. Mm -hmm. And that's not for everyone either. Not everybody even has a patch of grass that they can ground themselves on or, or even watch transform over the seasons. So again, uh, I'm very lucky to have what I have, but it was very intentionally cultivated. Mm -hmm. I just, I felt called to all of it and I very much listened. <laughs> yeah, the heart knows. It really it, does. It, it knows, I mean, as, as I understand, there's scientific evidence for that, as well as mm. if you follow it, you just know that it, yeah. it knows. But yeah. I mean, it, we are so complex for sure, yeah. but at our core, are we really? You know, we're complex beings, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Cellular, oh, it's fascinating. But at our core of our minds, we don't need very much. Mm -hmm. We need time, love, and compassion for self and others. So it's it's just it's so it's so basic when you boil it down. And I think when you're faced with a life or death situation or what you perceive to be, mm -hmm. that all comes into hyper focus. Mm -hmm. And you either listen or you don't. Oh, as yeah. with anything. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that about the antidepressants. I think that that's mm. I was at a years ago I was at a Buddhist a Buddhist monk was talking. I can't remember the name of the Buddhist monk, mm. but given it was a sold-out audience, and a, he must have had some uh, street cred. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or, or woman. And so there was, there was a person in the audience who was cle clearly very anxious, mm. in a, in a, clearly in a very anxious moment in, in their lives. And they were struggling with this idea that they weren't the Buddha in terms of the Buddha energy, in terms of the Buddha way of letting go and, and all these principles that this way of life guides us to. And so she was trapped in like this ideal that she couldn't reach because of where she was and she wasn't meeting herself there. Mm. And the Buddha told, not the Buddha, that Buddhist monk told her, maybe you should take medication. Yeah. Maybe you should talk to your doctor and take medication. And to her, it's like, well, then I have let go of yeah. all of this. And it's, and it's, it's the window because like you, it's the window, it's the crack in the, in, in the door that it gives you, the moment of pause it gives you to yeah. be a functioning mother, to, yeah. to still show up in society. And again, I'm not endorsing it one way or the other. I, another, I'm saying 
there's a there's a there's a humility and an honesty in, in saying no I I need this and there is no cure all until we start working on the root right because mm-hmm. whether it's ketamine which has a lot of it, uh, there's a there's just an unbelievable amount of data on four hours with ketamine and you're going to have a halo of all your anxiety antidepressant mm-hmm. feelings gone right and then you look at psilocybin, like yeah. mushrooms, you look at ayahuasca, ibogaine, you look at the psychedelics. And that halo, there's, as, as we understand it, there actually is a disconnect between yourself and the anxiety. It's not just a feeling. There's actually a disconnect. But that only lasts a certain amount of time. And then guess what? You're right back to where you were. So until you do the work, you do the work at the root, all of these things... But depending on where you are, he said, you have to, that's where you have to meet yourself. Yeah. You have to meet yourself in that moment where you are and accept yourself, like be kind to yourself, Mm -hmm. self-compassion. Oh my goodness. And exercise all in its own. Um, And not easy to do. Not a lot of our self language is loving. Mm -hmm. It's actually quite shocking if you really even just like write it down what you thought about yourself in a moment and like would you ever talk about that to someone else you love would you talk that way no why would we talk that way about ourselves? so knowing because again leaning on the antidepressants was very much the opposite of my direction that's I'm always looking more to food and nature and and the nurture aspect so relying on a synthetic oof that's that's not the direction I yeah, would want to go. Cardinal sin of a totally. Of a, yeah. I took it for a year yeah. as well, yeah. and it was very hard to reconcile yeah. with what I thought about myself and my capabilities to heal versus what I actually needed. And coming off, it was exactly that. It was a pause, as you said, Joel. Mm. Mm-hmm. And so everything was there on the other side. It was just I waiting was, for you. Yeah, yeah, ready to face it differently. Yes. Yeah. Maybe you could, Jenna talk about the the harmonization of science and synthetics and and uh, medi- medical remedies meeting the natural um, call it spiritual way of doing things in from a birth perspective and how you look at that as a doula mm-hmm. and say when somebody's in that in, they're in a hospital environment mm-hmm. you know how do you view the the mother to the woman is about to give birth. How do you view or tell her or teach her to look at, okay, here's all the medical options I have. And here's the goal, the ideal that I have of like, mm-hmm. this baby's going to float out of my, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it's going to be, be effortless. <laughs> yeah. you know? You'll sneeze. <laughs> I mean, maybe that's not, maybe I, I, it's no, not I a fair question. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. I apply birth to all of life yeah. as I do mm-hmm. nature and chickens. So, <laughs> I mean, it's very subjective. Because what one person needs isn't what another person needs. Mm -hmm. And we still don't fully see the body as this complicated system that requires a lot of different avenues, not just medical, not just natural, and different seasons and times for both. Mm -hmm. So I've seen people go into the hospital and give birth with no medical intervention at all, and they were proud of their experience. And I've seen people go and give birth with medical intervention and be proud of their experience. So that in and of itself just has the objective of where their mind was at when they went in, what felt right to them, what felt safe to them, knowing their options or not knowing their options and still 
choosing to experience birth in a one way. And I've seen people go in and not wanted any medical intervention and come out needing it mm. or choosing it and being fine and being traumatized. So it's not something that has a one root answer. It's very layered. Do you think a lot of that stems from that self-compassion though? Like, cause oftentimes we go in with a birth plan. Mm-hmm. We go in with this thought of what it's going to be, but so much other things can happen that mm-hmm. are out of our control. Mm-hmm. And when they go awry, do we blame ourselves? Are we not kind enough to ourselves well, in that moment? Don't you blame yourself as a mother? <laughs> oh, always. <Often>. Oh, gosh. <laughs> My birth stories were I had three natural labor and delivery. So medication free. Everything just felt very invasive. So I just was like, no, I'm. we're built for this. We can, whether right. it was naive or not. It yeah. just in the moment, I, I was not closed off to anything. I'm not saying that. I, I was I wouldn't have accepted anything. I just was always waiting for it to get worse. Again, not saying that that's everybody's experience, but it just never got to that point for me. And I was relatively uncomplicated mm-hmm. deliveries. But then I've been present for births where it was very complicated. Mm-hmm. And that is deeply traumatizing in its own way. And that mother walks away with such immense guilt. Mm-hmm. Yet, mm-hmm. was there anything, like m- the one example I had was a shoulder dystocia. So mm-hmm. it's like, you did nothing wrong. That's not on you. Um, that baby needed help being brought forth into this world. Yeah. And But the grief and the trauma that mm-hmm. was attached afterwards, it yeah. was hard to watch because this was in a family member. And it's, yeah, where is our self-compassion for ourselves in that moment? We're birthing life into this world. Yeah. We should be full of it. We mm-hmm. should be full of just this uh, I don't know. It's it's a beautiful time, but it's mm-hmm. very hard for I many. Think, I think that people attach um, different romanticized ideas mm. to different outcomes. So there is this idea that if you do it naturally, it is the only way to do it or the right way to do it. Just flip the opposite way. Some people say, why spare myself or why not spare myself any of the pain and grievance and have um, a cesarean or an epidural to take away from any pain that I'd feel if I can. Mm. So our perception going in, you're right with the compassion, having compassion for ourselves. But birth is also like hyper-focused healing experience potentially (laughs) because you can go in and have fast transformation happen depending on what you're open to and how you're seeing it and the support that you're given in that moment because birth is not something that everybody views as this hugely life-changing impactful experience most people have children so most people think well you go in you come out with a baby and that's it but there is like underlying soil level Mm growth and experiences that you pull out of it and sometimes you don't even realize until later how it's affected you or not affected you in certain ways so if you birth in a hospital your team is very important somebody and some people who will support you and can help you transform through motions as they change Mm -hmm. Um, because it does change and it can change quickly and there's no way to know for sure what your experience will be like until you're in it it's one of those things that you can't predict, you can plan, mm-hmm. you can hope, you can educate yourself, but um, when you're in it, the spiritual and physical things that are 
coming through you, a child, a soul, a spirit, your own experience, your reflection of your partner, if you have one's experience on you, the people who are around you and all their energies, it's all interplay. So mm -hmm. it's, it's very much personal and we don't support it yet enough no, through and through home to hospital to policy to liability to staffing mm. to a hundred percent i've always viewed and i think that was just i was i was lucky enough to view it that way so that it could heal me in ways that it did because every time i walked forth I was a different person. Mm -hmm. You are. Absolutely. Absolutely. But yeah. I leaned into that. Like I welcomed it. I was so excited for it. And I think that's why I wanted to be present in my mind. I didn't want any distractions or mm. um, numbing agents. And, and so that even ties into that, you know, being willing to lean on an antidepressant to numb myself was like a huge step away from my, this internal knowing Mm -hmm. that I've had because that was well before like childbirth was well before any kind of trauma in that way and I, I instinctively knew you know I need to be present for this I need to just feel it and and let it come over me and I think that's why I had fast labor and deliveries I it was very uncomplicated because I was just so open to what it would mm -hmm. transform me into but yeah you're it's very you're very instinctual. Yeah. I feel like I always have been. I've always been a pretty deep thinker, um, to a fault maybe. <laughs> but no, it's no. it's it's never it's never steered me wrong. I um I just I like I like the rec the reconciliation and the harmonization of these these opposites that, you know, it's kind of become a theme of this our chat. Um, you know, from where we started when we're talking about your son to to, yeah. to yourself, to yourself, to birth. It's, it's these opposites. And so I'm using that as a segue into, I'm going to read something and then it's a segue into the opposites that is your farming. And so your I have a very specific question in, I think what you're getting to. That okay. <laughs> and then, and then I just in, in the spirit of time and knowing mother is mm. holding baby, we'll try, <laughs> I'm sure the crying has I stopped. I, there was crying for a bit <laughs> there, but see if my ears didn't even pick it up. I was oh, like, my, I'm, uh, yeah. yeah, I know. It's like, <laughs> oh, no. If ever my eyes glazed over, it was because I was hearing yes. Jovi and so I only have, I only really have three more questions mm. that may turn into five or six, but Wonderful. kidding. <laughs> so your website says, May Bloom's acreage came to be due due to a, a deep desire to reconnect with nature, to learn and to listen and to live with great intention. I wanted to know the plants and animals that could provide that for our family. Learning to grow and care for them in the most ethical, humane and sustainable way possible has been a humbling journey that will never be complete. So the first half of that is it was lovely. I was really moved when I read that and know it to be very true. How has in making it the successful business that it has become yeah. and it is like it's make true. no mistakes it's a very it's 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 successful in terms of people following you it's successful in terms of an actual business that's working as a farm how ha how have you been able to or have you maintained some of this initial purpose and and intention with the realities that have come with commercializing yeah. it and then whatever you want to add it's in that too okay, so. okay. <laughs> honestly it was backpedaling it was realizing that 
my ego can take me in multiple directions. It's wonderful to feel seen. I think that's a human emotion to feel seen in something you're good at and to pursue something you're good at. When you find that thing, you're like, yeah, let's do that. I'm good at it. I can show the world I'm good at it. But my original purpose was for myself, my family, my land, the things that I care for. So externalizing that to share it with others was a season. And that's what made our my business so successful is this desire to acquire colors. As simple as that seems. Colors of eggs. Colors of eggs. Yeah. That's what people came to me yeah. for was the genetics behind it and, and a color in their basket, which brings joy. And I love that aspect of it. I really do. And I enjoyed it for two years. But then when I looked back, I realized I strayed. I strayed from my purpose. I strayed from the exchange with a being, but also my land as a being. I was, my animals were not on grass like I would want them to. They were penned, netted, like, remember I was saying they could scale eight foot fencing if they wanted to, they really can. And so you have to make it like a Fort Knox if you want breeding and you want, you know, prolific numbers. Because otherwise people, they'll just... Yeah, if you want people, yeah, the, the, the breed, <laughs> the, the mix that you are creating will yeah. not result in the color that that yes. person has paid you for to put in their basket. Oh, I see, I and see, so, okay. The breeding has to be very intentional. And sometimes when reducing spaces for animals, which is kind of what the entire commercial world does, we reduce the spaces to get the most amount out of these animals, whether it be profit margins or just exploiting them. And so their bodies. But I was kind of following that same thing. I need to reduce size so the breeding is efficient so that the people paying me, say, $120 for a dozen eggs are going to turn into 12 beautiful little chicks that lay beautiful little eggs. Um, they're not eating those dozen eggs. No, they're they're hatching them. Yeah. So you I mean, I know prices egg. have gone yes. up. No, <laughs> no. I know my neighbor asked me the other day, what's a dozen going for? And I'm like, do you want to know? Um, no, and that was the thing. So I, it was very successful. I could have made enough money doing that. And I know this from other breeders that were mentors to me, mm -hmm. that I could have actually supported my family. I mean that no word of a lie. You can easily make $75,000, $100,000 on hatching eggs. Absolutely. The money is there. I did, did and we the make demand that? is there. <laughs> okay. um, our barnyard makes right? <laughs> hey, that's where it starts. <laughs> it's a slippery Sorry to slope. No, Sorry no, to no, not at all. It's just I, I veered off course. Mm -hmm. And so I veered off course of that. There's kind of that that paragraph that you attach to your life that you're like, this is my purpose. And even with creating the social media platform, all of it was just to share what was impacting us. It wasn't ever supposed to be a business. It was never, it was just supposed to be a support system for other people like yourself. It was just supposed to be this free exchange of knowledge and experience that I was learning on the go. But then when the demand for my eggs happened and I followed that segue and indulged in it for two years, oh, I, I just looked at the yard one day and I had lost one of my favorite birds and I wasn't able to like nurture him in that moment. That may sound really insignificant to some people, but it's like not being there when a dog passes away. Um, for me personally, because these animals give me so much, right? Not even just in funds, but 
just so much. And so I was like, what am I doing? What am I doing? What is my purpose here? And so it was a massive self-reflecting moment, Mm -hmm. humbling moment, ego humbling moment where I'm like, no, I have to backpedal. I have to find if my goal was farm status, for example, which was the original intent. I just didn't want to pay as much in property tax because I was giving forth to my community, right? I needed to go back to just supplying nourishment for people, not procreating animals that the planet has enough of. And it's just for a pretty color. And and what if they don't lay that pretty a color? Are you disappointed then in the life of that being? And so I just really needed to check myself and, and realize re-realize what my purpose here was. And so I went from charging a hundred and it doesn't even matter, but say a hundred dollars for a dozen to eight, because that's what feeds families. That's what'll make the bigger impact. And it's all the beautiful colors because I want someone to open that carton and never again exploit a chicken. Mm -hmm. Because you realize just based on this beautiful rainbow that there's a whole world that you have no idea exists within Mm -hmm. this one single animal. Mm -hmm. And so that's been my goal going forward. And the crazy thing is I can still uh, um, attain my farm status. I can still, it's, it's way less earnings. It's way less money for my output. But my original goal was always just for myself. Mm -hmm. And I need to be true to my core ethics on how I interact with my animals, whether it's an ethical exchange of their nourishment for, you know, my care, that kind of thing. So, yeah, it, I, I, I did steer off to be fully transparent, but I, I think two years, it was, it was a quick enough correction. Um, but I did lose animals in the process by pushing things too far, and that just didn't sit well with me. So it's been, it's been an evolution, but it could have been a really huge business, and that just at what expense, though? Mm-hmm. Again, what is our purpose here? What is my purpose here? What is my responsibilities? What are my ethics? I just have to honor them with everything. Mm-hmm. So even if that means stepping away from potentially a good amount of money, For you, you got to do what you got to do. <laughs> Again, all from a, a place of privilege because I don't need that money. But I, I also believe in a world, maybe naively, that we shouldn't ever exploit animals for, for profit. Um, so I think that's more now the direction that when I write, I'm just trying to drive home that point that we're just... We're missing the point on many, many things. I think you're very clear about that. And I can remember that moment. Half of my heart was like, no, <laughs> I want to be a part of that in some way. Oh. And then the other half was I know, like, I heard oh. it from the bedroom. <laughs> oh, no. What <laughs> <laughs> no. happened? No, but the other, <laughs> half, the other half was like, you know what? Good for you because mm. yeah. how much courage does it take to be able to see that? And to be able to choose differently anyway. And that's really what my question was, was how much courage did you have to muster in order to change? It wasn't, I wouldn't even say it was courage. It was just checking my ego. And that seems so repetitive. I said that a few times, but what was driving my aspirations? Mm -hmm. It was my ego. Mm -hmm. It was wanting to be wanted for something I could provide. But I can provide something that doesn't come at the expense of the animals I Mm. keep Mm -hmm. or the land that I'm supposed to nurture. Mm. And I can show people how to do it. And so I think a big part of what I was what I am known for is my colored eggs. Absolutely. The beautiful colors. But also I want to bring back a meat bird. And I mean, like the broiler that we all see in in the store. They're 
they are so far from what the original intent was. And I, that's a big part. I can do that without exploiting any animals by just educating, speaking, using my words, showing pictures, how-tos, all of the things of how to use what was once lost or heavily exploited, again, with selective breeding, to get back to our roots of what these animals were put here for. Mm-hmm. Um, sure, yes, they lay way more eggs. They are a bit bigger than they were originally designed to be. But we can get there if we just course correct. And mm-hmm. so I think my course correction was hopefully hoping to inadvertently inspire others to course correct. You know, don't keep going down a path that doesn't feel genuine, even if it means you're giving up a ton or you're simply checking your ego. Just course correct. You can. There's never a point where you've gone too far or too too deep. If it doesn't feel genuine anymore, you have to honor that. So I don't know if it's courage involved or just listening to mm-hmm. yourself, mm-hmm. your knowing, but also being true to to mm-hmm. your ethics. That ethics is a medicine, I think. Yeah. Pure medicine. Maybe could you elaborate a little bit on the birds that we usually see? Yeah versus what you're doing with your poultry. Totally. Um, I did touch on that before in a a very quick way. I raise heritage breeds. So they're breeds that have been around for hundreds of years. They were ancestors of the original kind of game fowl, not game fowl, but like wild birds almost, I want to say it that way, um, that were selectively bred to fit some kind of standard, which standard means when you hatch out, say, 12, you would they would all look the same. There's not a variation. That's a standard. And so I leaned into what people have been building for years, hundreds of years, and was like, well, that's beautiful. Why do I need to push it past this point where an animal like a broiler, for example, which is a meat bird, is something that for the most part only lives about six to eight weeks until it's processed for meat. But I know from growing out a heritage bird, that takes about 16 to 18 weeks. That's a massive, massive difference. Mm -hmm. And so what are we accomplishing in that time? Yes, profit margins are very important, um, but also size. The amount of size these animals are, are generating is out of natural balance. And so you'll have things like broken legs, heart attacks. They cannot reproduce because a, a, a commercial broiler is what's called a hybrid. It's not just a cross, it's a hybrid. So that means it's multiple different breeds combined. And they actually use heritage breeds to get there, which is the craziest part. (laughs) So if you zoom out a bit, you've still got heritage breeds at the base of it. It's just we've then dwindled that down to make it as profitable as possible in the fastest amount of time. Um, And again, we need to feed the world and the world needs good whole nourishment. I fully believe that. But when we're eating an animal that was raised in the way that we raise commercial animals of all kinds, we've poisoned it in a sense. We've robbed it of all of its nutrients, A, from what we feed it, but also it hasn't ever lived a natural life. Those muscles have barely even moved. They haven't lived. They haven't ingested the earth's biome. They haven't They haven't been a part of anything. They've been within a barn and they've been sanitized and it's all in, all out. It's six to eight weeks. It's this very like machine. Whereas here, I'm 
bringing back something that is much more natural. It takes the amount of time it takes to get to the table weight. It could be 16 to 18 weeks, it could be 20. And that's how long it's gonna be and there's, that's normal. Um, so just bringing that back into the conversation. Um, but also, also, this is a healthy bird. We're watching a healthy bird grow at a healthy rate that is normal and natural, um, that can reproduce after, and it's sustainable. That's a word I haven't used yet, but in this journey, I wanted to be self-sustaining. I didn't want to have to depend on an entity to provide me my meat nourishment, which is in the form of chicks each year, mm -hmm. because there's a lot of stress involved in that. They're hatched usually in down south in, in the U.S. Um, at one hatchery. They're flown up to Canada. They go through the border. This is all within you know one or two days of life. So already you're 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 consuming an animal that has accumulated stress. Um, and so my animals on my farm, they're hatched here, they're raised here, they live on pasture here as nature intended all animals to live. They get to live in whatever family units they want. And when the day comes that they pass, the entire yard watches but not watches at all. Mm -hmm. Their heads don't leave the ground. Mm -hmm. the, like the ones that are foraging, they don't even look up um, because the moment has come and gone as quickly as how they entered the world. Mm -hmm. And so I was just always trying to bring back that connection, that connection to our nourishment is so much more than just how efficiently and yeah, efficiently it can get to our table. It's a much bigger conversation. And if we can be intimately involved in that, it's such a beautiful way to just bring it all home for yourself. And, and yeah, truly, if you can be, be a part of it. Mm -hmm. And so I, I clearly stopped with chickens, um, but mm -hmm. my desire was always to have pigs and, and cows, and, but I need a lot more land. I only have three acres. So to give everything that I can to one species of animal just seems like a good space to be in right now because I do I can be an advocate for an animal that you know this year alone we've lost millions and millions tens of millions of them to a, a virus and and so a, um, a huge responsibility I feel with bringing these heritage birds is that they are much more immune to what we've created they can withstand a lot more. Mm. Um, and I think they're going to be the way forward. We're mm. going to, one day, the system is going to crumble. I think we're already seeing that. This is the second outbreak of, it's called avian influenza. It's a pretty deadly virus. This is the second outbreak. The first one was in 2014 and 2015. And now we're seeing it again. That's that's pretty quick turnaround to, to come back and it be a different variant. Um, and we're all familiar with variants and viruses and yeah. it's been a long two years um so it's it's i just see we need to revert back to the natural essence of things all things and and be true to our marketing slogans and all of these deceptive things that we do to sell sell a product essentially mm -hmm. so yeah just remember that there's a being behind it and its life deeply matters i think that is a a great place to leave it. Um, my other questions but only take away from that very, very well put, beautiful, important message. So thank you for sharing that. And I think the continuation of that is where do they go to hear more of it mm. from you, to learn more from you in the capacity of which you're writing and teaching today? Yeah, I'm still just on Instagram. I haven't 
ventured further than that. I feel like time is very precious. So that's my one outlet, but it's May Blooms Acreage on Instagram. And I'd be happy to engage. It's, it's, a, it's a safe community that I've built for sure. Mm-hmm. I'm very grateful for everyone that, that follows along. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. you. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I hope to have you back at some point and and maybe we can... Talk soil. Well, I would like to, (laughs) you know... (laughs) Compost. Yeah, and and that's that's really it is is I'd like to, next time around, pick up right here Mm. in this idea of sustainable farming and extrapolate into soil, extrapolate into... and, And maybe geek out a little bit. I would love <laughs> nothing more. I feel like I restrained myself slightly. It's all good. Thank you, Vanessa. Thank you. Thank you. As always, thanks so much for listening to The Ramble. No, there is a lot of podcasts out there, so we thank you for choosing to listen all the way through on this one. You know, we want to be part of the, the solution, the, the good questions, the things that move you and inspire you make you want to connect deeper with yourself and others and all that great stuff so if the spirit does move you subscribe share post anything we'd be forever grateful and if you have any comments or feedback good bad ugly it doesn't matter we're here to listen guests you think we should have on of course send them along thank you and until next time peace hey thanks so much for making it to the end of the podcast i know that my Self and, of course, my guests really appreciate you listening all the way through. You know, they put a lot of time into their projects and their ideas, and and you know, they're very thoughtful with how they they bring themselves and show up on the show. And so I'm really grateful that uh, that you've listened all the way through. You know, we don't have ads on the show. I think I don't think Red Circle's running ads, but I wanted to take just a quick second to say that hey, if the spirit moves you, you know, this podcast can be brought to you by some of the wild, fun, wacky, creative things I do. I always try and stay in the practice of creativity, whether that's writing or working on films or uh, just about anything. I, I try and be very diligent that I'm I'm doing it consistently. And so, you know, as a result of that, I put some things out and, and I'd love for you to check them out. One is uh, Getting Naked, The Bare Necessities of Entrepreneurship and Startups. That's my book and you can get it anywhere where books are sold online like Amazon or Barnes and Nobles or Indigo. And uh, it's the story of my company, Naked Underwear, the first company I started that went from a failed attempt on Dragon's Den, um, that's your shark tank in America, to the NASDAQ and was eventually divested. And it has a ton of tips and ideas for startups, very practical advice, but it's always also interwoven with my own story, which I think entrepreneurs and creatives and artists can really, uh, would really relate to, uh, you know, it has almost 155 ish star, four and a half star reviews. And I think people, if you're going through, you know, a startup need some motivation, need some ideas, just want to feel like, Hey, there's a kindred spirit out there. You know, it's a great book to check out. Also, you can check out my blog at joelprimus.com forward slash blog, where I write a couple of blogs a month about a variety of topics, a lot of stuff on fitness, things like how to know when to quit, a lot of personal development, psychedelics, all kinds of things. Everything's written from a personal lens. And, uh, you know, it's just a great way to digest a little bit of hopefully fun and helpful inspiration. And of course, keep checking out this podcast, The Ramble on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever your podcatcher of choice is. Thanks again and have an awesome day, week, month, whatever it is.